This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Some have flourished, others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada. Each episode, we highlight local musicians. This time around, it's a daughter following in her dad's footsteps. I'll introduce you to the Witter family at the end of the podcast. On this show... My folks got involved in a little bit of everything. They were both immigrants. They came to Canada with literally $5 each in their pockets. That's Rod Schween, president of Patterson Media, someone who knows a thing or two about family businesses. We will hear from Rod throughout the podcast, his story of success and the importance of family business. It started as a little seed in our mind of what else can we do? There aren't many butcher shops and that's kind of where the thought came from. That's Trina, owner of Popwitch Meat Company. She and her husband, Mike, will tell the story of how their family business changed their lives. If I wasn't happy what I was doing and instead just felt like I was obligated to carry it on, I probably wouldn't be as successful. Deanna and Melanie are a mother and daughter duo that have managed to keep a local clothing and gift store going for 40 years. We reached out to a friend that I knew had some pickle costumes. It was just something random and I was like, hey, do you still have that pickle? And she was like, yeah, I'll dig it out of my garage. Need I say more? other than you're going to want to hear the story about Daniel's dill dip. Hi there, I'm Linda Freeman, your host for Amplify Canada. When you think family business, what comes to mind? It's hard not to jump to shows like Succession, Arrested Development, or maybe it's CBC's hit comedy, Kim's Convenience. Appa, that is such a messed up idea. Too messed up idea. No, Appa, that is... You know. What? You what? Stop doing that. Stop. But when you think about it, A family business is likely a five-minute drive away or an easy walk from home. It's those businesses you visit getting your local vegetables, the place you run to grab more milk, or the salon that you've been going to for decades. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of the Canadian family business. Family business is defined as a money-making enterprise where business owners are related to one another by blood or by marriage. They may be small local businesses. It started with my dad and now with me. Or national endeavors. So Statistics Canada indicates family-owned businesses account for 63.1% of all private sector firms in the Canadian economy and generated 48.9% of Canada's real gross domestic product in the private sector at $574.6 billion. 
Not to mention, more than 90% of the jobs supported by family-owned businesses equals 6.4 million in small and medium-sized businesses in this country. Some pretty important players in our overall economy when you think about it. Okay, enough of the business talk. Just wanted us to understand the important part family-run businesses play in this country's economy. To gain some perspective, I thought, let's check in with Rod Schween. He's president of Pattison Media. Not only does he work for one of the top 10 largest family-run businesses in this country, but he knows the family business story personally. His parents immigrated to Canada, started a business, and made a life for themselves. My folks got involved in a little bit of everything. They were both immigrants. They came to Canada with literally $5 each in their pockets. I'm actually the first one of our family born in Canada. My brother was born in Germany before mom and dad came over. My mom actually was the one that had the background in business because her father was a shoemaker in Germany. And at that time, the oldest son normally followed in the father's footsteps and turned out that my uncle was quite a renowned artist. He's redone some of the chapels in Europe. So in order for him to go to art school, my mom became a shoemaker so that the oldest brother could go away to art school. She worked for my grandfather for a while and then opened her own shoemaker's shop in Germany. My dad was a boilermaker for steam engines, of all things, because after the war, they were just trying to get these young people whatever kind of a trade they could. He needed gloves or his apron fixed. Of course, he went to the local shoemaker. So that's how he met my mom, and they decided that they were coming to Canada. And for a long time, they worked in various businesses. But once they got to northern Alberta, they homesteaded. And then eventually they got into wholesale fuel and then retail fuel. And eventually, believe it or not, ended up with a couple of motorcycle dealerships. You got into motorcycle racing to help promote your parents' business. That's pretty cool. But then eventually you go down a completely different path. We decided that racing would be a good way to promote the business. And I got semi-decent at it. Never enough to make any money, but good enough that I had a couple of summers of racing right across Canada. I raced at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. I've raced at Expo 86. And about that time, they started a little radio station in my hometown. And in the wintertime, I was just good enough to ride the bench on our local junior hockey team. So after I stopped playing or realized that I wasn't really good enough to play, I got to do a little color commentary. And the next thing I was doing play by play, then I was a volunteer at the station. And six months later, I was the station manager. Let's park that piece about you getting into radio for a moment and talk about the role that growing up in a family business played in your life. That was just such a big part of my youth and what my parents placed as an importance. So maybe I take that a little bit for granted sometimes, but it's something that just was instilled at a very young age. And I like to think that's true of just about all the small business owners that I've encountered across my 30 some years half a dozen different markets that I've lived in. I don't think that's a unique story. I think that is the core of the story of small business in this country. And that's what we want to see continue. We'll continue the story with Rod a little later, talking more about the importance of family business. And eventually, we'll see how things ended up for Rod's parents. Six laps to go. Five, not even four or five bike lengths between a Let's take a trip to Edmonton, Alberta, where we'll unravel another story of a career pivot from pharmaceuticals to a butcher shop. Yep, you heard that correctly. Meet Mike and Tarina Popovich, who over several dinners 
countless glasses of wine, and about five years decided to carve out new careers for themselves. Are you getting the play on words there? Hi guys, let's start at the beginning of your journey that ends with the Popowich Meat Company. We really just started talking about what would we like to do? We love to cook, we love to entertain. And so that really brought us to that point of recognizing we wanted something in the food business. It started as a little seed in our mind of what else can we do? We were both in big corporate jobs for many, many years, and we just thought, was this it for us or is there something else? And we've always been really passionate about cooking and entertaining and people. And we just kept always thinking, what can we do? What can we do? And Mike had taken some weekend warrior butcher classes and quite enjoyed that. And I think that coupled with us living in Toronto and Vancouver, parts of our lives and seeing the community butcher shop and the community bakery and the community little grocer, we kind of thought maybe there was some legs here in Edmonton where there aren't so many butcher shops and that's kind of where the thought came from that was the beginning of the story but it literally was probably a conversation over about five years and it was funny I remember about three years before I left my job we were sitting around as a bunch of our work colleagues having a conversation about if you left your job right now what would it be and I remember saying you know what I think Trina and I might actually look at opening a butcher shop and that was kind of the first time I really said it out loud and I thought hmm that sounds not bad. And, and everybody said, I could see you doing that, Mike. So that gave me the real thought that, oh, maybe that actually is not just a crazy dream. It could be a reality. And then you made it a reality, which included going back to school. I enrolled in Olds College for the meat processing program. It's a great program. I wanted to go there and do that one specifically. The program didn't just teach me how to cut meat, but it taught me how to run a meat shop. And so it really solidified that that's what I wanted to do. And I would go there in the week and then I would come back on the weekends and spend time with the family. So it felt like a very quick four months for me because I was in school, probably a lot longer for Trina and the kids because Trina was driving the kids around to their activities and doing all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that really solidified that we wanted to do it. And then it was just a matter of finding the space and securing some financing and figuring out all the suppliers. We visited lots of different farms and providers and we wanted to have a great relationship with not just our employees and our customers, but also the people that we deal with. So whether it be a farm supplier for some of our proteins, we've got a bunch of yeah retail products like sauces and meat pies and all sorts of things, pierogies, yeah. It really is just so fantastic that you wanted to support local vendors. Yeah, so we wanted to build some relationships with people that were doing the same thing that we were doing and trying to live their dream. The work that goes into starting a family business and the risks families take. Trina, you're working full-time in the meat company now, so you took that leap of faith to a full-on family-run business. As soon as we opened the shop October 2019, I think I only worked for another month just to close things off with my previous company. And we just knew that for us to have it as a true passion project that we both had to be here for the kind of customer interaction we wanted and the community hub that we wanted to create we knew that we needed both of our personalities and strengths so that we could create those connections with our customers and our suppliers and local retail partners. And it sounds crazy to work with your husband 24 (laughs) seven, but uh, so far it's worked pretty well. It was a big leap of faith though. There were some scary moments in those early days and you're standing there and you, you have a new shop and you're looking at each other and 
It's taking a while for customers to come in your store and you're thinking, oh, what have we done? What are we doing? But thankfully, the community that we're in really adopted us quickly and things started to go in the right direction fairly early on. So we felt pretty good about it. I was curious about generational family businesses, thinking, will Trina and Mike's children someday run the butcher shop? So I did some digging and found out that 70% of family businesses last only one generation, with 30% making it through the second generation and then only 12% through to the third. That was quite surprising to me, but I guess just because your parents started business XYZ doesn't mean the next generation will. So let's zip back to Kamloops, British Columbia, to the office of Rod Schween. He's that 70%. To refresh the memory here, his parents had the gas station, two motorcycle dealerships, and even though that would be a lot of guys' dreams, he went with a different plan in radio. And the next thing I was doing play-by-play, then I was a volunteer at the station, and six months later I was the station manager because I had the most seniority. So Rod, you decided not to work for your family's business. Let's talk about making that decision. That's the unfortunate part. It probably was the time where we really could have turned it into something. But fortunately, you know, my career has also turned out okay. I was pretty lucky. I couldn't have made a bad decision either way. But you don't know that at the time. And there are a lot of people right now that are wondering, what do I do? Do I keep going and running my own business? Or do I go off and work for somebody else? And it's just a really difficult, really unusual, strange time for a lot of business owners. So I'm pulling for them. What a great point to talk about that generation to generation, because if your children don't decide to take up the business, you've done all this work and you put in all this effort and hopefully you can sell it for a good profit at the end of it all and have a nice retirement. But that's the challenge because you don't always know that what you're doing is what your kids are going to want to do. And a lot of those people that really do a good job of business, the business is their retirement fund. They haven't been stashing away RSPs. They've usually been reinvesting their money back into their business. So they're really counting on it. I've got a lot of respect for all people that make that decision to go off and go into business on their own. Most small businesses are able to operate at some level, but the owners are still facing financial challenges and unanswered questions on how to navigate these challenging times. I've owned a business and there were challenging times where you weren't quite sure how much you were going to bring in in a month. So I really admire those people who have those small businesses, stick with them, and especially those family businesses that have been around for years. There's just really something to admire in that and the strength of Canadians to keep that going. Yeah, and the culture that they build and again, the legacies that they leave for their communities. There's some great new companies that have strong cultures, but I think it's a real testament when you can have a company that's been around for 50 years or 75 years and they have a strong culture and they've made a big difference in their communities. That's as hard to work as it is running the business, right? We've seen that especially in the current environment. It's so tough to even have a small handful of employees all feel the same way on issues these days. So it doesn't matter whether you got five people or 500 or 5,000, it can be difficult at the moment to make sure that all your folks are rowing in the same direction. Rod, you went from your own family business to working for another family business when you started in radio because that station was purchased by Jimmy Pattison. 
and you've been with him ever since. Yeah, I've been officially working with Jimmy for, uh, I guess, 21 years now, and technically with the company going back to the original ownership group for a little over 30 now. It's funny because initially, I would have never thought of working for somebody else other than my folks. I thought that I would probably take over the motorcycle dealerships. And even a former boss of mine said, you know, I thought by now you'd maybe be off running your own business. That's the great thing about the way Jimmy runs his company. While we're a big group overall, each operating division is expected to stand on its own two feet. And so it really is my opportunity to run a company. I always joke without the bank loan to go along with it. And that's one thing I don't ever forget. Again, I remember my folks living through 21% interest and some of those sacrifices that they made in order to make their business a success. Rod, let's pause there. I'll come back to you to give us the rest of the story about what happened to your parents' business. But before we do, we go on a little road trip to Redcliffe, Alberta. Situated next to Medicine Hat in the southeast corner of the province along the South Saskatchewan River. It is home to a relatively new family business that has built quite the excitement in the community. Originally from Congo, Africa, Daniel moved to Canada when he was 13. That was 2002. He was far from vegan. Fast forward to 2014, Daniel meets Amy. She's a vegetarian. The couple started their own personal training business and a year later they chose to go vegan together. They found it hard to find options and substitutions they could enjoy, especially when it came to a dip. And since Amy loves dips, they were inspired to make their own. That is how Daniel's Dip started. Daniel's Dill Dip, we started it, I would say July 2020. We just made it just for ourselves. We brought some to one of our outdoor fitness classes and we served up 16 batches to them and they all bought one. And then we just kept growing and growing from there. So September 1st of 2020 was basically the first day we started taking it seriously and using it as a business. So it was June 1st that we moved into our own factory and it hasn't been quite a year yet. This right here is your new addiction. I think a lot of us have that recipe in our back pocket. That's the hit at a party. Did you test your dip with family? Our friends had it, we ate it for years, and they encouraged us to actually launch it. Yeah, you guys should do it, it tastes amazing. So we didn't imagine that it would turn out like this. We didn't really ever take it seriously. They said all the time, you guys could sell this, you could sell this. And yeah. we just were like, ah, you know, and true. <laughs> ate our suppers and that was it, right? But. Then when training slowed down during the pandemic, that's when we kind of took the leap of faith on trying the product with our class in the summer outside, and that's where it all kept going from there. It cannot be an easy process to find that right flavor, like something that the masses will love. Yeah, we knew the kind of flavor we were looking for, something savory, something tangy, something that had a little bit of a kick to it, but that was just like a full body flavor, but that would complement dishes rather than take away from it. So yeah, we played around with yeah. like the levels and what we wanted to add of things. It's amazing because people have tried it in so many different dishes and they're constantly trying out new ways to eat it with Daniel's Dildip. So we're really grateful that the combination that we came up with is able to be eaten on so many different foods. And you went from your fitness clients buying it to launching it in grocery stores and then things exploded. 
when we first started making it, we would take orders. We'd say, hey, we have 30 containers. Who wants one? We'll bring it to you. And we'd drop it off at their houses. And then it was IGA that reached out to us about carrying the local product and whatnot on the shelves. And we're ordering hundreds and hundreds of dips. We were just like, we got to kick it up a notch, right? We can't keep paying for rental space and things like that when you know it's probably a better deal to just get our own facility at the rate we're making it and we can continue to expand so that's basically what prompted us into our space here so we can continue to grow and go into lethbridge and calgary and surrounding towns like we've done and right now it's just the two of you it's just the two of us we do every single job so we each probably have about 10 roles that we play yes. but uh, right, we have it works office well. work we have warehouse work driving work yeah. social media marketing right so we bounce the two jobs all the jobs between the two of us yeah and how is that working out family business success can hinge on getting along that's the biggest thing usually is just trusting each other because we have so many jobs and understanding that we got the job and the other person if they say they'll do it they'll do it so It's important to trust each other. We talk it out. This is what I think. This is what I think. And then let's do the best idea, right? We're always trying to work smarter, not harder. And just trying to be efficient and productive. You have to be on the same page for sure. Yeah. It works well, though. We're a good team. What's your plan moving forward? We've learned to try to take it one day at a time. One of the biggest things about this business is you can't shoot yourself in the foot by trying to grow too quickly. So we're trying to just have everyone taste the dip first. So if we can get across Alberta first, like we did Medicine Hat, then we can get throughout Canada possibly and then go from there. The lifelong goal would be to be everywhere. You know, you can find Daniel's Dill Dip just like you can find ketchup. Like it's literally everywhere. We have a lot of goals like wanting to be in little packets and little sealable containers with pizzas and things like that. So we're going to keep pushing and pressing, but we're trying to build an empire and a legacy for future generations of our family, right? So we want to build the factory and have a giant company that our children's children's children will continue to run and supply Dildip for everyone. Now, what is this I hear about Daniel dressing up as the Dill Fairy, delivering free dip to people around the city? So how did this happen? Yeah, that was a random idea that I said to Daniel one time. We were hanging out and I was like, you know what would be funny if we dressed you up like a pickle and we just went around gifting dill dip. Amy's idea of the, the fairy and the pickle, I just said yes because I just like to participate. It turned out into something even bigger than we could have ever imagined. Yeah. We reached out to a friend that I knew had some pickle costumes because it was just something random. And I was like, hey, do you still have that pickle? And she was like, yeah, I'll dig it out of my garage. Found it. And I took it to my mom and my mom soda. I was like, can you make me a tutu and some fairy wings for Daniel? And she was like, why does he need that? So then I told her what we were doing and she threw it all together for us. And then, yeah, we launched it. On Sundays, that's basically the day, is on Sundays, we choose 20 names, 52 weeks now we've done it. So how does this dill fairy pickle tutu scenario work? He's pretty quick though, apparently. (laughs) Not many people can see him. It's usually the ring doorbell cameras that get some pretty funny shots of him coming and going. He's fairly elusive, the fairy. Usually the people that are getting dipped don't see the fairy, but it's their neighbor cutting the lawn that's just like, what is 
that? Like the look on their faces and then they're laughing and just smiling for no reason. And we've got some pretty heartwarming stories from people that are like, yo, I was just sitting at home depressed and the doorbell rang and I burst into tears because that's so nice. And that's really why it's awesome that you're able to affect people in a positive way like that. Half of the excitement is in the preparation, waiting for the dip fairy to come. And a lot of people are so anxious, like I haven't been dipped yet, I haven't been dipped yet. Once you've been dipped though, then like it's over, it's right? over. So, it doesn't happen for you again. Exactly. So it's like you kind of lose the magic a little That's bit. So true. the anticipation of being dipped is often is like where part. the excitement is always built up, it's right? So. I absolutely love the creativity and need to see a photo of the dill fairy. What's next? We hope to open our website finish all the details with shipping and whatnot. The growth is continuing. We are definitely hustling as hard as we can to expand as fast as possible because the people that keep asking for dip, we just want to be like, yes, here's the dip, but we're building. Thank you for the support. From all of us. Well, all this talk has made me hungry. I'll be ordering some. Thank you, Amy and Daniel. You are building quite the family business. And I love that you mentioned you're building a business for your children and your children's children. And it sounds like you're well on your way to making that happen. Heading from Redcliffe, Alberta to Innisfail, a town a little more central in the province, located in the Calgary-Edmonton corridor south of Red Deer. And that's where we find the Gift Loft, a great example of a second-generation business, that 30% I talked about. Meet Deanna and Melanie, a mother-daughter team that loves their community, families, and customers. Deanna started the gift law 40 years ago, and her daughter Melanie has come to love the business too. Deanna, how did the story start? I was a new mom. Mel was six months old, and I was bored. <laughs> My sister-in-law and I actually started in 1980. We started with about $3,000 and bought our stock, and it originally was something to do. My father had a drugstore, and I started in a room upstairs in the building that he was in. And so when he left and built a bigger pharmacy, I came down and occupied a drugstore space. So in my family, we have four brothers that are all working in the same line of business. And I opted to do this line of business. And so for me, it's wonderful that Mel has the interest to continue on. But it is totally her choice. I don't want to force her or make her feel like she needs to do this. And if the choice is hers, it will grow. And Mel, how has the journey been for you? Obligation or desire? I took business school and when I was done, I just realized I like it here so much better. I love what I do, what mom does. And I didn't want to work in the city or be stuck in a business job where you're at a desk all day or anything like that. And so that's why I ended up back here. Over 40 years, a lot will change, not to mention throwing in a pandemic to deal with. How have you adapted over the years? I think the changing process never ends. From when I started to now, even the business aspect of it is not the same at all. People are more instant gratification. Whereas when I started 40 years ago, they went shopping and shopped and shopped and shopped. 
and of course Mel brings the technology and online and all the rest of that back into the business which really is not my scope and it's always changing too because trends change what people want the big box stores being so close to us has also made us have to change what we carry and what we offer people because there's no way we could ever compete with them and stay in business. Every year, it seems it's a little bit different. You have to change what you do and how you do it. Right now, there's a lot of anxiety in the business community. 200,000 Canadian small businesses could disappear forever. That's according to updated estimates from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And then there was the pandemic. Another change and shift for you. We built up a bigger clientele while we were closed because more people were forced to shop local. Everybody was pushing shop local, buy as much as you can here. We opened up an online webpage and we sold a bunch of baskets and clothes and things like that online where we hadn't done that before. There was lots of people even here in town who have never shopped on Main Street or who haven't come down in years. They were forced they needed something we were the ones that were here so it brought them out and then they were like oh wow you know I kind of had forgotten about downtown or forgotten about all these places but it seems like every year in small business it's always up and down you can never (laughs) never stay the same (laughs) with family you have family events that put pressure on the family to avoid conflict in a non-family business you don't have those Family dynamics can be hard at the best of times. Roll in the stress of owning a business and that could cause some difficult times. Can you talk about the ups and downs? You get to know your family. Every day you have a conversation, whether it be about work or home life or kids or whatever. So I think it draws the family closer together. You get to make the rules. (laughs) (laughs) You can decide scheduling because I still have two young kids. So that's nice that with family, you can work around that. Like, hey, can you get them after school and I'll work or I'll work and you grab them? Just planning and navigating that sort of stuff is easier. It becomes another aspect of your family life. And I think it depends too how much family is involved. I only have one sister and she's not interested at all in the business. And our husbands are very good at staying out of our business. Yeah, they don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So for us, it's just the two of us. And sometimes that makes it easier than if there was 12 of us together in the business. For the cons, you can't walk away from work. Our incomes are here. For me, this last two years through COVID is the first time in 40 years that I've actually said, okay, I'm going for two weeks. And I phone and say, how are you? But I don't need to or feel the stress of, what am I missing or what should I be doing? I spoke earlier about only 30% of family businesses making it to the second generation. What about carrying on this business? I think if I didn't like it, it would be a little bit different. If I wasn't happy what I was doing and instead just felt like I was obligated to carry it on, I probably wouldn't be as successful. And And our dynamic wouldn't be as it is. As for carrying it on, it has to be the same. Whoever comes in next, they have to be happy what they're doing or else it's not worth it. 40 years down, hopefully another 40 years ahead. 
Before we wrap, let's head back to beautiful Kamloops, British Columbia, to the office of the head of Patterson Media, Rod Schween. Although he didn't stay in his family business, the business did continue on. Rod, let's bring it back full circle with the rest of the story on your parents' business. They continued to run it for a number of years. I left in 86. My dad retired in 2000. And I almost considered going back because unfortunately they built it big enough that they couldn't find somebody to take over both dealerships and live in Northern Alberta. And they finally were able to piece it off and sell it individually. My mom actually spent an extra two years in Northern Alberta because she did all the book work and she said, I'm not doing a closing sale on two dealerships to two different people at the same time. So they had staggered the deals. They were going to retire in Cranbrook and get our house set up and find a place for us to live and retire. And they wanted to be close to us and their grandkids. And dad's deal closed. He bought a house. And I think a week later, mom's deal fell through. And she ended up spending an extra two years in northern Alberta. She finally retired at 70. And she stayed up there on her own. My dad was living happily retired, comfortable in their new house. So... She was still sleeping in the back of the the office in the motorcycle dealership. So yeah, they started those dealerships late in life and they always said, you know, it's too bad when they finally built it to something that was fairly successful and they could really start to make a mark. They were getting too old to run them. We need these generations of families to keep family business in this country going. You know, it's the experience of those people from their traditions and their ways of life that they bring to the country and pass along to their family members and then pass along to us. And it just adds to the fabric of our whole country. Our world has changed so much in the last couple of years. They had to shut down their operations multiple times. They saw changes in consumer behaviors. They really needed additional support. Things that we knew and took as truths before suddenly have been taken away and changed on us unintentionally. And I think we've all got to kind of get back into that feeling again, right? And that mindset that's so important. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to put this program together. And we just knew how we were interacting in our own personal lives within our company. We wanted to make sure that we shared that message. Well, listening to the stories of small businesses through the Amplify series has been really heartwarming, uplifting, shows the perseverance, dedication, commitment that these business owners have to our communities and to our country. And so it's been an honor to be part of that and listen to the stories. Yeah, because while this has been our current challenge, there's always going to be challenges out there for our communities and for our businesses. And so if nothing else, hopefully we've learned something over the last couple of years. We're a lot different company today than we were two years ago. And I think that's true whether or not you're a big organization or on Main Street somewhere. Even though we're coming to an end of the pandemic, I don't think we're coming to an end of some of the challenges or of the great stories that are out there and some of the new opportunities that are going to be coming our way in whatever the exciting new normal is for a lot of us. Through dedication and commitment, passion and love, drive and determination. Family businesses work hard to survive. Whether it's the local meat shop, the clothing and gift store with a heart, or the dill fairy, there is a business nearby that has a story to be told. Thank you, Rod, Mike and Trina, Amy and Daniel, and Deanna and Melanie for your stories. 
And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. Now head out the door. There's a family business just waiting for you to explore. Each episode of Amplify Canada, we introduce a local musician whose song you've been listening to throughout the podcast. Music is big business in this country. Independent artists can be looked at as small businesses that feed the big business of music. Jim Witter knows that well. He's been performing and entertaining crowds for over 30 years. Whether it's his original music or the music of the likes of Billy Joel and Elton John. And now Jim's four children have all shown an interest in the family business. His oldest son James spends all of his spare time in his home studio, aka his bedroom, writing and recording his own material. His other two sons are instrumental, one guitar, the other drums. And then there's Rosalind, who has performed with Keith Urban in front of 20,000 people. Welcome, Jim and Rosalind. Amazing musical career you've had, Jim. It's crazy to think how many years it's been for me because time sort of stands still when you're in the music business for some reason. The other day, I was talking to the audience like I do every show that I do, and I found myself kind of choking, going, I've been doing this professionally for 40 years now. You found something that you loved, and your parents encouraged you to do this, which sometimes doesn't happen. I don't remember a moment in my life where I wondered if I could make a go of it doing music in some sort of way. And you're right, my parents were so incredibly supportive. So let's fast forward. You have four children, and you've encouraged all of them to pursue what makes them happy, including musical careers. One thing we always told them is follow your heart, follow your dreams, but just know that you have to give it 150% all the time. Rosalind, you saw this for yourself as well. Having the support of my parents really allowed me to find my voice and they did definitely encourage me to follow my passion. So I finished high school and then I went on the road with my dad for a little bit. I'm incredibly lucky and blessed to have him and have that experience. I know a lot of people would kill for that experience. You had an incredible opportunity and moment and that was getting up on stage with a superstar. There are 20,000 people there and up you get with Keith Urban and do a duo with him. It's amazing. What was that moment like? That whole experience was insane because growing up, Keith Urban was on heavy rotation in our house. When I heard about this contest, we recorded a little video. My dad was playing guitar and I was singing and submitted it. About a week went by and I got a phone call and I instantly just started losing my mind. Unfortunately, Keith wasn't there for the rehearsal. So the first time I saw him was when I got up on stage. You can really see in my face, holy crap, this is really happening. Please make a welcome, Rosalind Witter. Rosalind! How you doing, Rosalind? I am fantastic. You ready to sing? I'm so ready. You feel good? I feel awesome. You guys ready? Here we go. And that must have been exciting too for you, Jim. I can't tell you how incredibly proud I was. I was on the road and I couldn't actually be there in person. So I was doing my show and not paying attention at all at night to what I was doing because I was thinking about Rosalind the whole evening. And then I reached back to my hotel room and I got the video of her performing it. And I remember 
that moment sitting on my bed and just crying my eyes out because I was just so proud. She was an absolute superstar up there. Jim and Rosalind, thank you for sharing your incredible family story and connecting us to that family business of music. Jim, I'm sure you'll still be on stage well into your 70s or 80s performing a duet with Rosalind Witter, country music sensation. And on that note, here's Rosalind Witter with Flannel. Well, I got my foot on the gas on the interstate With nothing but dreams on the dashboard And I haven't seen the sun, yeah, not for days Sometimes I forget what I'm looking for Every mile that's gone Still I'm holding on I got my brand new boots, dad's old guitar Three chords and the truth by Rosalind Witter. You can find her on YouTube and Spotify. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Pattison Media designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com. This is a presentation of Pattison Media.